Welcome to For the Love of Brantford, a podcast about the evolving story of our community. This podcast is for everyone who holds a place in their heart for our beautiful city. I'm Nathan Etherington, the Program and Community Coordinator for the Brant Historical Society. I'll be sharing some information from the Brant Historical Society archives and other sources to share some history that you may not have learned in school. And I'm Andy Samwell, president of the Eagle Place Community Association, and I'm passionate about community. And for me, you'll hear about what's happening in our community now. And I'm Zila Ozels from the Brantford Public Library. I'll be speaking with experts to get an idea of where our community is going. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, fill in our feedback form on the podcast website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB. We hope you join us each episode as we learn from each other and explore Brantford's past, present, and future. Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of For the Love of Brantford, where we explore the ever-evolving story of our community. In this episode, we discuss a small part of the history of Brantford's Black community. I will share some early history moments from the Brant Museum and Archives, highlighting interesting people such as Auntie Brown. And Zila and I speak with Amanda Mercero from Unite Against Hate about the work they're doing to promote Black history in Brantford and other projects they're working on. While this episode will originally be released after Black History Month, we actually planned it for last November. And we're just a little behind on that release date now in March. That's one thing that Unite Against Hate is trying to educate the community on, that Black history should be taught and explored all year round. From the beginning of settlement in the Brantford area, we had people from Six Nations, white settlers who built the Mohawk Chapel, and Black slaves before it was abolished. History tends to capture the dominant white narrative, and rediscovering marginalized histories is much more difficult, but important to invest the time and work in uncovering and sharing these stories. One of the things Amanda talks about in our interview are the education modules they created in collaboration with the Grand Erie District School Board, which I think is a great initiative. I think there is a lot that gets missed in history classes due to the interests of those making the decisions. Part of the mandate of the Historical Society is to build a more inclusive future for everyone, and sharing these stories helps us work towards fulfilling that mandate. Hopefully anyone listening will at least get a few ideas of where to start. We'll also make sure to include links in the show notes to additional resources. Nathan, let's get started with your research. Many people have heard about Black history in Brantford, but just how far does it go back? Well, in truth, it goes back to the beginning of our history in the area. When Six Nations was removed from the United States, Joseph Brant brought his people to Brantford. In the U.S., Brant had adopted many practices of the British, including having 30 to 40 Black slaves that he captured in the American Revolution. Joseph Brandt also encouraged interracial marriage. During the War of 1812, an ex-slave named Richard Piermont was a soldier in Butler's Rangers, and he formed a special company of Black persons 
who fought with John Brandt, Joseph Brandt's son, at the Battle of Queenston Heights and Fort George. Brantford was one of the destinations on the Underground Railroad, as many slaves were smuggled to Bunnell's Landing out near Canesville before the canal was completed into downtown Brantford. There's a plaque commemorating this memory on the bridge under Colburn Street out by Johnson Road. In 1847, the Black community of Brantford opened its own school. According to Black in Canada by Robin Winks, quote, Negro children were excluded from public school as the level of instruction in the Negro school was recognized as superior to that offered in the common schools. End quote. Who are some of the Black Brantfordians in early Brantford? Lewis Burwell did his original survey in 1833. There were five Black landowners. John Van Patter was one of these landowners and was also on the first voters list in 1847. John Van Patter was the son of Prince Van Patter, who was one of Joseph Brandt's slaves. Adam Atkin was another common laborer who owned the southeast corner of Bridge and Darling Streets. He has a large family of children, and most of his means has been expended in his erecting his house. Samuel Wright was a barber on Lot 36 on the south side of Colburn, or the corner of Colburn and Echo Streets, where he had erected a log cabin. John Boylston was another black laborer who was the owner of a blacksmith shop in 1830. Finally, we have James Anderson, who lived on the corner of Bridge and Delusie Street and was also a blacksmith. The museum has a day book for James Anderson with first entry dated October 2nd, 1830. A second ledger for James Anderson notes his sales between 1830 and 1833, of which Prince Van Patter is one of the accounts. We've heard a lot of these stories. Can you tell us about some of the new research you have uncovered? Well, as you expect, housing conditions were not quite the way that they are today, and they were also worse for Black families. An odd article appears on April 23rd, 1896, with the title, Must Get Out. A day or two ago, the sanitary authorities made a tour inspection through the buildings at the foot of Brent Avenue and near the drill shed. These buildings are occupied by several colored families. The inspector found them in a greatly dilapidated condition and to be insanitary enough to be reported to the Board of Health. The officers also found a door that was locked and asked to have it open. No person on the premises had a key, so the inspector broke open the door where he discovered four children. The inspectors wondered what would happen to the children if there was a fire at the premises. The Board of Health, as a result, issued them an order to remove themselves within 10 days. By June 1st, the building has a mysterious fire and nobody takes ownership over the property. What other Black families have you discovered in your research? An expositor article, June 27, 1898, notes the death of an ex-slave named Peter Johnson at the age of 70 at the hospital. He was born into slavery on a southern plantation, and after reaching the age of maturity, made a dash for liberty. Although chased by bloodhounds, he finally reached British soil by the Underground Railway. Johnson had lived in Brantford since 1857, 
and was a respected, hardworking, capable citizen. Originally to be listed in the city directories, you had to pay, which is why we sometimes have problems in finding out what he did when he came to Brantford. In 1865, it notes Peter as a shoemaker on the south side of Colburn. The 1869 and 1875 directories don't note him. In 1888, there is a Peter Johnson, this time spelled with a T, as a laborer at 63 South Street. And in 1896, there are two Peters. One is a farmer at 27 Park Avenue and another a watchman at Cotchet Plow Company and living at 40 Duke Street. But we really don't know a whole lot more about whoever this Peter Johnson was. Can you tell us about a woman known as Auntie Brown? This is another story we can unveil through a death notice and the city directories. There's an article in the Brantford Weekly Expositor on January 12th, 1899, talking about the death of Auntie Mary June Brown, who died at her home at 101 Gray Street at 77 years of age and had resided in Brantford for over 50 years. In 1896, it does note Mary Jane Brown at 101 Gray Street, but it also notes that she is the widow of a Charles. And tracking Charles Brown's name, we see them at Gray Street, noting that he is a gardener in the 1875 directory. In the 1867 and 1865 directory, Charles is then listed as a laborer on the south side of Darling Street. But getting back to Mary, she was better known as Auntie Brown and was one of the city's unique characters. She was born a slave on a Maryland plantation around 1822 and escaped to Canada around 20 years later. The article closes, quote, Auntie Brown was everyone's friend. During her long residence in the city, she achieved an enviable reputation for industry and honesty. She was regularly employed in many Brantford homes and was treated with confidence, merited by long years of faithful service. She was a bright, jovial woman, and many citizens outside of their own kin will miss the merry good nature of Auntie Brown. Hi, Amanda. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Amanda Mercero. I'm the co-founder of Unite Against Hate in Brantford. Can you tell us about Unite Against Hate and why you started it? Sure. So Unite Against Hate is a social profit organization uh, focused on anti-racism, education, networking, and support. We started in uh, 2020, and it was after the uh, murder of George Floyd in the States we were inspired to really try to uh, take steps, tangible steps towards preventing things like that in the future. Anything that we can control, um, we, we, we tried to take those steps. Can you provide some example for folks about what kind of like tangible steps you've done? Absolutely. So since 2020, we have developed a uh, interactive list of Brantford's Black-owned businesses, We have most recently developed two modules for Black History Month education for um, primary and junior grades, which is in collaboration with the Grand Erie District School Board. And it will be distributed throughout the schools this February for the first time, which is exciting. 
We have done many things, including we have a feature on our website where folks can anonymously report a hate crime and it's in data collection stage right now. Uh, we also are going to introduce to the public our uh, social justice library, which is interesting to you probably, Zila, because I think we were talking about that a little bit last year. Um, so we have 15 to 20 books now that will be available to the public that pertain to social justice, Black history, local, internationally, um, and nationally. And we've also been working with a local historian on collecting and archiving local Black history. So all of it has to do with Brantford or the County of Brant. And it's been a really interesting project finding these facts that most people don't know. And we really wanted to make sure that we built it in an accessible way that if someone searches Brantford Black History, it's all in one spot. That's our website. So you mentioned that on your site, you have a list of Black owned businesses in Brantford. Um, and I've noticed other cities doing this kind of, why is it important that we know what Black owned businesses there are and that we support them? Well, I don't know if you know, but Brantford is actually home to dozens of Black-owned businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, supporting them helps Brantford's Black community build generational wealth. Contributing to these businesses is an opportunity to improve our quality of life while helping close the racial wealth gap. And that's actually on our website. It's really interesting because, um, you know, we're generations behind of having that wealth built up. And um, a lot of these businesses, they're breaking that cycle. Um, so it's really important to support them. And we're actually encouraging any new or existing Black-owned businesses that aren't on our list yet to reach out to us. Um, and we'll, we'll get you on the on the list. And it's, it's pretty easy. So definitely make that step if it's something you've been considering. Uh, so I believe the education modules is your most recent project you've been working on. Yes, yeah, so we are very excited to be releasing two modules geared towards primary grades, which is grades one through three, and junior grades, which are grades four through six. I actually tested out these modules on my kids, who are nine and seven, respectively, and they did great. So these modules are uh, available for free download in PDF form on our website if you go to the education resources section. And we want them to be spread as widely as possible. They are all to do with Brantford's Black history, um, celebrating the month, celebrating the achievements and the perseverance of our Black community historically and today. And why was it important for you to create these modules? When United Against Hate started, we made sure we wanted to uh, focus on education as the way that we were going to reach people. So reaching the youth is probably the most important way to ensure that there's an equitable future because the youth are our future. We want to inspire them. We want to show them that the black community has been here since the 1800s and all of the accomplishments along the way. That's amazing. And I think it's awesome that you actually started with doing the modules with your own children first too, to, to get started with that. I think that's awesome. Um, one of the things I was wondering about is on the Unite Against Tate website, you have a section called Black Futures. What does Black Futures mean? That's a great question. Actually, last year, we did a special like highlight bridging from Black History Month to Black Futures. 
And uh, someone I worked with during that time, an absolutely amazing contributor for United Against Hate, Destiny Pitters. And I have a quote from her. She said, while there is an incalculable significance to Black history, it's important that we also practice envisioning the Black community's collective future. So ways that we are going to envision the Black community's collective future this month are at our speaker series, version 1.0. Very excited about this. Um, That's next Friday, February the 10th. We are going to be hosting a speaker event with Kojo Dempty from the, um, he's co-chair of the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. He's been that for many years. Um, He's going to speak. And so is Tracy Kane, who's a local historian. And she is, is the descendant of some of the earliest freedom seeking black residents of Brantford. So very, very illustrious backgrounds, both of them. And then I'll be facilitating a conversation um, where we can imagine how we're going to build these community connections, which is actually the name of the event, Building Community Connections. So I'm curious uh, when you were saying about envisioning a collective future, I guess one part of me is kind of curious and wondering about like, how do you do that like collectively? Like, I'm sure there's lots of different ways including the event you spoke about, but what are some of the ways that you're hoping to maybe connect with others to envision things collectively? Well, you know, I'm hoping that Kojo Dante from the HCCI (laughs) will help enlighten us all on how we can connect because since the pandemic, uh, it's been tricky to connect. Um, Plus I, you know, you know, I run the Brantford Apparel ZBTFD, like I'm always working. So in a way, like I'm not really out in the public a lot. So I do have to kind of make these events in order to really interact in a face-to-face way with people from the community who have an interest in building it as I do. So mm-hmm. I think more events like this, you know, getting involved, keeping an eye out, like it's not, I mean, it might only be our events right now, but hopefully they'll inspire others to um, host similar things. Um, The neighborhood associations typically have really nice and welcoming, like in the summer, there was a a barbecue that I attended and it was really like posy vibes everywhere, but things like that, like, you know, and then we meet people and we, we bond with them, we identify with them and we humanize them. So I think those are really great steps. And Brantford is a very, very welcoming community in a lot of ways. It's growing fast. And so is the diversity. In fact, B-Town, the btown.ca, it's our digital publication. And we recently posted an article about, based on census data, about the most diverse neighborhoods in Brantford and how they've grown in the last five years. Along those lines, like what are some activities that you hope Unite Against Hate is able to work on in the future? And I might just expand that question a little, like what are some activities you hope to maybe see in our community here in Brantford? Love to see more um, international villages. I loved that event. I really want that to happen again. Um, Networking events. One thing that we tried to do last year that we're hopefully gonna try and do again is hold an Emancipation Day celebration in Mohawk Park, which is historically where Emancipation Day celebrations were held, which adds to, for me as like a history kind of, I won't say nerd, but almost. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just love that idea. I love being like that 
those similar events happened and it was a, a way to connect and um, I want to recreate that. So hopefully uh, this August, we're going to do something similar. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting that together and getting the invitations out. Like we're moving. We are always thinking of next steps and uh, you know, we're the, we're the change makers right now. So let's do it together. You know, I love that. How can community members get involved with or support Unite Against Hate? Okay, so definitely follow our social media accounts. So on Instagram, we're Unite Against Hate BTFD. And on Facebook, just Unite Against Hate. Definitely like and follow because we will be posting content all throughout this month and continually. Also, since we are also a Brantford Apparel, which is custom wholesale t-shirts and (laughs) uniforms we will be printing merch um, black history month inspired merch unite against hate merch and we'll be selling that for pre-sale through the month of february as well so definitely uh, try and get your hands on some of those because all proceeds go towards unite against hates black history month uh, programming So thank you, Amanda, for taking the time to join us. I know this month is especially a busy time with all the Black History Month activities, uh, and you probably get a lot of requests. So we really appreciate that you chose to do this with us. Thank you so much, Zila. Thank you, Mandy. It was really lovely talking to you. So I wasn't actually able to attend the event that Amanda talked about. Were you guys able to attend and what takeaways did you have? Yeah, we, uh, we both uh, attended together. And actually one of the takeaways that I had um, was how Tracy talked about Black history being Canadian history and that we should be talking about it all of the time, just like it's any other part of, of our Canadian history. And I think that that's really important. And I hadn't heard it phrased that way, but I think that that's the way that I'm going to think about it going forward and making sure that we're sharing it all the time. Yeah, her, so the event was divided up in a few different parts and her part um, right at the beginning was very, I don't even know what the right word is. It was just left me with a lot of feelings. Um, She basically kind of did a, I think a, a shorter rundown of what she normally does for like when she goes out to schools, like grade schools, but um, the information she was providing is relevant to everyone. It wasn't, it's not wasn't just for the kids there like that that was a room full of adults and I think we all learned something from her presentation yeah I would say it was very impactful and and you could just feel the energy in the room for sure and definitely there was pieces that I learned and we're always learning so I really enjoyed that and I'm glad I know that that was the first one and I'm looking forward to seeing all of the other speaker series that I come up with as well yeah, uh, I, I think that's something very important that to highlight. We often talk about when we when we have history, right? We like to talk about these these happy stories and we don't tend to like to focus on the not happy stories, but the not happy stories are almost more important to talk about because they set up the, the these systems of power dynamics and struggles that people have. And, and then you understand it. Um, and I, I mean, at the museum, we have the local history context, but as well, you need like the societal context for what's happening in society around the time. And then that the local history uh, part adds all that flavor and that context to it. 
I think it's interesting too, that you kind of use the words happy and unhappy, just in the sense that like, yeah, it's great to share those celebratory stories, but sometimes if you think about it in the background, there's a lot of stuff happening that's actually like harmful maybe, but it is propping up the celebratory stories. Yeah, and kind of going along with that, there are like certain marginalized communities as well and their stories got got profiled, but then they have some other type of privilege. So, uh, and then Cockshot was from the Cockshot family. So he had all this class and privilege, but uh, apparently he was quite the homosexual. So because he had that class, people didn't bat an eye at it. But then when you look at the marginalized communities um, and intersections of those marginalized communities, you know, there, there are racialized communities as well as low income those stories don't really get talked about. And then you see exactly how discrimination works. One of the other things that uh, I took away from your conversation was uh, Amanda was talking about the founding of United Against Hate and how it all came about. And I remember that because it was in the middle of the pandemic or the early days of the pandemic. We were reached out to by the city as well as United Against Hate. And I had already digitized all the Black history information that we had. So when they reached out to us and and wanted some historical research, we also gave them information that we knew that we had that was readily accessible to kind of help them learn about some of the people in the past. Because much of the modern Black community is also immigrants. There's very few from that were around from you know, and their families were here in the early 1800s. I think that's one thing that I remember having a conversation with um, Amanda at another time, but not during our interview. Um, And we kind of talked about it in our introduction, how difficult it can be to find some of those stories. And I don't know, Nathan, if you have anything to share about like, if there's a different way to kind of do that research when you're specifically looking for information about marginalized communities or if there's something different you're looking for? Yeah, uh, sometimes you have to you have to get into the mindset or use the historical context of the day, which often involves using racist terminology. So you're searching for those, what, what we would describe now as racist terms. So, um, you know, often in the, in the very early history thing, they, they use Negro often. And then um, a lot of times when you're researching kind of after the Victorian, they use colored, so colored persons. So you kind of have to know which words to be looking for in order to, in order to, find, to find those histories and kind of rediscover them. And then sometimes it's just by happenstance as well. Uh, it happens numerous times I'm looking for an event that happened one day and then on the same page of the newspaper, there's some ancillary information there that kind of helps, you know, explore the narr- expand the narrative or you think, oh, that's a story that I've never heard anyone talk about or at least talk about uh, recently. And then two with history, right? I always say people come to me asking for research uh, on in- and information about things and all the information has been out there in the past. It's just, we've disengaged from those stories, right? They're, they happened long ago. There's no living memory of them left. 
and so like you actually have to invest quite a bit of time to to go back and, and find those stories and recapture them and tell them in new and interesting ways. And we did that throughout the pandemic as well. I had a summer student and we did our version of Drunk History and we did uh, episode on Black History in Brantford and it's available on YouTube. Uh, just search for the Brant Historical Society. And we actually profiled that John Anderson, John Anderson's story that they used with the school board. So there's like a, a, a visual uh, recollection and retelling of the entire story as well there that way. I think what you're saying is is exactly why it's important to just, like you said, just keep keep telling those stories so that we are keeping them in everybody's minds and, and not forgetting, right? Nathan, what you were saying made me think of one of the projects we started and really it's just the start because it will definitely be an ongoing thing is looking at our subject headings and double checking what books are under those subject headings, what the subject headings are even called, because some of them are completely incorrect in terms of like just being a blanket term and having a bunch of other things put under that category when it really, they shouldn't be. Um, And this was specific to a project around looking at the subject headings from an indigenous perspective uh, and making sure that the terms that we use now that are appropriate um, are the ones being used instead of when the Dewey Decimal System was created years and years ago and seeing the change in the words that people found acceptable, um, sorry, that people making decisions found acceptable um, at the time. It's interesting that you bring that up because there is a publication that we produce about papers read at the Historical Society. And one of them was read by Evelyn Johnson, Pauline Johnson's sister. And she talks about and refers to her people as she is, when we were back in our semi-savage days, right? And it's just, it kind of brings all that historical context to the forefront of, you know, their mother was was white and in like um, a family of like ministers and everything. So you really get to see that clash and that intersection of, of how, how racism has effects and has effects on those communities that way as well. And it sounds a lot like uh, this library super conference that was recently had where they also talked about that cataloging and terminology and what words to remove from our vernacular um, to kind of help uh, highlight and share those stories. You know, people are browsing through the community, the shelves, and there's just like the normal spine label on it. They don't know what necessarily what the book is, but if it's, you know, a, a fiction book that tells about some aspects of Black history, you know, if there's a biopic label on the book, that's something that anyone browsing the shelves can start their journey about learning to educate themselves about these histories. Yep. Um, Yeah. And those are just, you know, the ways that libraries specifically are getting started, but I know there's definitely a lot of work to do. When it comes to equity issues, you know, uh, we like in, like in society, we like to have these boxes. Yes, we can check that off. We've done that. And 
the problem with checking off boxes when it comes to equity and diversity is these are things that constantly continue to come up. They don't come up every day necessarily, but they may come up, you know, uh, you know, every year or every five years or something like that. And it's just a reminder to kind of think about the, those things in our aspects. And we should be doing that every day in our jobs, not just during Black History Month. Yeah, I think it I think it becomes about making sure that it's bigger than just checking a box and that it's, you know, not about just doing doing things in our jobs or those kinds of things, but it's about living in a way that we're focusing on all of those things too and making sure that we're recognizing the stories and the history of everyone all the time. That's it for episode seven of our second season of For the Love of Brantford. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to our website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB to fill out our feedback form. Any and all suggestions are welcome. Thank you to Amanda for taking the time to speak with us during a very busy time for her. We look forward to seeing all of Unite Against Hate's future projects. Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Brantford. You can find all the episodes at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB, including the show notes where we list references, share images, and provide resources to continue your exploration of Brantford. We are your hosts, Mandy Samuel, Nathan Etherington, and Zila Ozels. This is a podcast in partnership with the Eagle Place Community Association, the Brant Historical Society, and the Brantford Public Library.